God loves us. He trusts us. In the same way, he sent 12 people out in Jesus' time to spread the word and the message throughout the world. He trusts us to do the same. As you heard earlier, my name's John, and I want to continue on the theme of passion. So far, we've heard from Cooley about forgiveness. We've heard from Chris, who is passionate about the church. Jamie struck a chord with passion for worship. And this week, I want to talk about stimulating others to encounter God. So what happens away from church when Douglas switches off the microphones, Alan bolts the doors, and Will replaces his dog collar with a fashionable Hawaiian shirt? Well, for me, the best way of communicating my passion isn't to beat people over the head with it. It's to lead them to God. Taking away the interference which stops them from recognizing that God is their savior. Leadership is God-given, and he has given it to everyone. We all influence the world around us and those we speak to. And as Christians, we stand shoulder to shoulder as a beacon of light to those around us. So what does leadership entail? Now, John Q. Adams, who is the sixth president of the United States, said this. If your actions inspire others to dream more, to do more, to learn more, and to become more, then you are a leader. So how do we improve our leadership? Well, we heard from Jesus Christ that whoever wants to become a leader must first become your servant. So what does that mean? What does servitude mean? Well, that's what I want to talk about today. I'm going to talk about three things. First of all, overcoming fear and what stops us from stimulating others. And then I'm going to talk about guidance, when to stimulate others. And lastly, talent, how to stimulate others. So kicking off that first then, overcoming fear. Now, I want to ask a question, and in response, I'd love you to raise your hands. And for those of you who feel uncomfortable in this environment and raising your hands, you don't have to, but recognize that I feel slightly challenged and exposed standing here. So my question to you is this. Who here feels they could do more when outside of these four walls to stimulate others to encounter God. Thank you. If you're anything like me, you miss the opportunities all the time, be it at work, be it shopping, be it standing in a queue, or even in the pews in church. 
So if there's more that we can do, what holds us back? What stops us from doing it? And I think it's all down to fear. Perhaps it's social stigma. Perhaps you don't want to be seen as one of those nutters on the train. Or a Christian soft touch at work. Perhaps your day's going well. Perhaps your day's going badly. Or perhaps people just aren't going to be interested in what you say about God. Now, what I like about this passage is that next time I'm too busy, they help me change my perspective. And behavioral psychologists uh, refer to this as reinterpreting. And I'm reminded, as I say this, of the importance of perspective. And to demonstrate this point, I have a story. Last year, I was having supper with a a really interesting um, rear admiral. And so as a rear admiral, basically, he's very old, and he's got away with a lot of stuff without having been caught. And he told me a story about perspective. He said, and here's what he told me. There are two battleships training and doing maneuvering in heavy weather and patchy fog. I was on the lead battleship at night with the captain, he said. The lookout reported, light, starboard bow, steady or moving astern. Steady, Captain. Now, for those of you who don't know, when you're out at sea, if you're not, you don't have your naval legs on, when you're out at sea, if you see a steady light, it means that it's heading directly for you. Signal the ship. We're on a collision course. Advise change course 20 degrees. Back came the signal. Advisable, you change course 20 degrees. Send, I'm a captain. Change course 20 degrees. I'm a seaman. You had better change course 20 degrees. Furious, he said, I'm a battleship. Change course 20 degrees. Back came the message. I'm a lighthouse. I like this story because it reminds me to see things from a different perspective. In the same way Jesus gives us perspective. Verse 3, and there's a lot to pack into that one simple verse in verse 3. We learn Jesus, like us, had come from God and returned to God. And from this, we have the security and knowledge of knowing the outcome. Much like walking into an exam room and the answer paper as you walk in through the door being given to you by the examiner. Surely that removes all the fear of failure, securing you in the knowledge you're going to pass. And if I know my start point and my destination, I can be much more resilient to what the world throws at me. So what's the antonym of fear? Or what's the opposite of fear? Bravery, perhaps? Security? Well, if you're secure, and I think this is probably my point that I'm wanting to make here, if you're secure in who you are and secure in the knowledge you came from God and returned to God, 
You're truly free to be yourself. And you can cast aside the issues of social stigma and time pressure. So that's my first point. How to overcome fear by knowing the start and end point of your journey. My second point is guidance. Guidance is all about our relationship with God and how he communicates with us. One of my overriding impressions when I first became a Christian was actually for the lack of guidance. Of course, I would receive it at church on a Sunday, and if I read my Bible, I'd eventually be able to pan a nugget of gold out of there. But it it wasn't always relevant to me, and rarely relevant to the specific problem I was having at that time. But the wonderful news of the Christian faith, as I discovered, was that we're not on our own. God promises us that he will guide us. For simplicity's sake, easy for me to say, these are called the five CSs. The first one is commanding scripture. God will reveal himself in the Bible and his general will through the Bible. Now, the Bible isn't really designed, as I may have thought it was initially, as a sort of magical, mystical book where you open it up at random uh, and ask a question, because that can go wrong. Uh, A man did just that, and he put his finger, opened up the book, put his finger on Matthew 27, 7, which said, Then Judas went and hanged himself. Oh dear, that's not a good omen. He said, I'd better try again. So he closed the book, opened it back up. He got to Luke 10.37. Go and do thou likewise. (laughs) He thought, oh dear, this is going horribly wrong. So he closed it up. He goes, one more time. He opened it up. John 13.27. What you're about to do, do so quickly. So that's not the best way to use the Bible, but you will find it's packed with guidance. So that's my first CS, commanding scripture. The next one is compelling spirit. Compelling spirit. We heard from Paul that uh, he, he experienced this himself in Acts. And it says, and now... Compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. This is where you feel compelled to speak, perhaps to a work colleague, perhaps to a parent at school. Perhaps you sign off a card saying, God bless. Or you finish a conversation saying, go well, meaning go well in him today as a precursor to a conversation in the future about God. So that's the second CS. The third one is common sense. We're now called, uh, sorry, we're now, we're not called to abandon common sense when we become a Christian. Paul says in 2 Timothy, reflect or think, think on what I'm saying and the Lord will give you insight. John Stott, 
uh, an author and Christian leader, says, God's promises of guidance were not given to save us the problem of thinking. God will call you into something that suits your temperament, personality, education, and skill. So we know how to apply our third CS, common sense. The fourth one is counsel of the saints. And in this context, we're the saints, other Christians around us. In Proverbs, it says, the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. So seek guidance from other Christians. And lastly, the fifth and final CS, circumstantial signs. God is able to guide us through events. There's a, there's a wonderful verse in uh, Psalm 37. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. So if you're facing difficulty in a relationship or in a career or stimulating others to encounter God, commit your path to the Lord. And his promise is that he will act. So those are the five CSs. What's the Lord guiding you to do? So that finalizes my, my second point. Moving on to my third point, third and final point, and that is talent. St. Francis of Assisi, the 13th, uh, a 13th century saint, said this. Always preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. We have an abundance of talent in this room around me. And I've learned so much from St. Dee's and all the members that I get to know a little bit better. We all come together like an Olympic team, combining our collective skills to achieve an outcome far greater than the sum of all our parts. But what strikes me about this team is variety. If everyone was a track runner, there'd be no Chris Hoy on the bike. If everyone was a Tim, we wouldn't have a worship leader or people in the community speaking to parents or people at work going out and communicating God's message. We are all designed and planned to be exactly the people we are. We have the, precisely the right skills from a God who loves us. So how do we use these to encounter God and to help people encounter God. Well, let's look at Jesus. He spoke of servitude and being humble. Now, Jesus knew the Father had put, verse 3 again, he'd put all things under his power. Everything. He could do anything he wanted. And what's the first thing he does? He puts on a towel, wraps it around his waist, and goes and cleans the feet of those disciples that follow him. Now, this part of the passage has extreme power for me personally. 
And even by 2012 standards, this is a pretty humble thing. But in Jesus' time, it had additional connotations. It was countercultural. And maybe this is the message. Maybe this is the message for this part. He is communicating to us today. Our lives, in whatever path we tread, need to be as productive as this. And we shouldn't be concerned with the outside influences. So how do you stimulate others? Well, we use our God-given talents with humility, purpose, and passion. So that's talent, my third and final point, which draws me to a close. To stimulate others to encounter God, we need to overcome our own fear. We need to seek guidance from God, and we need to use our God-given talents. God loves us. He trusts us. And like the 12 disciples he sent out into the world, he trusts us to do the same today. I'd like to end by reading you a letter. You will find copies at the ends of the benches. Do pass them around and, and have a little read through. I'm going to steal that one, if I may. I haven't memorized it. But there are some just there. Here we go. It's my mother. She gets special treatment. Um, and this is the letter that is written directly to you. And it goes like this. You may not know me, but I know everything about you. I know when you sit down and when you rise up. I am familiar with all your ways. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered, for you were made in my image. In me you live and move and have your being, for you are my offspring. I knew you even before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. You are not a mistake, for all your days are written in my book. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in your mother's womb and brought you forth on the day you were born. I have been misrepresented by those who don't know me. I'm not distant and angry, but am the complete expression of love. And it is my desire to lavish my love on you simply because you are my child and I am your father. I offer you more than your earthly father ever could, for I am the perfect father. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand, for I am your provider and I meet all your needs. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope because I love you with an everlasting love. My thoughts toward you are countless as the sand on the seashore, and I rejoice over you with singing. I will never stop doing good to you, for you are my treasured possession. I desire to establish you with all my heart and all my soul, and I want to show you great and marvelous things. 
If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Delight in me, and I will give you the desires of your heart. For it, for it was I who gave you those desires. I am able to do more for you than you could possibly imagine. I am your greatest encourager. I'm also the father who comforts you in all your troubles. When you're brokenhearted, I'm close to you. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I have carried you close to my heart. One day I will wipe away the tears from your eyes and I'll take away all the pain you have suffered on this earth for I am your father and I love you even as I love my son Jesus. For in Jesus my love for you is revealed. He is the exact representation of my being. He, can, he came to demonstrate that I am for you, not against you, and to tell you that I am not counting your sins. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything I loved that I might gain your love. If you receive the gift of my son Jesus, you receive me. And nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Come home and I will throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. I have always been father and will always be father. My question is, will you be my child?